We're in a series talking about deeper faith. This is our third week in this series, and we're talking about what does it look like to actually experience a deeper faith than we have, because so often in our life there's disconnection from what we know and from what we actually live or from what we know and how we actually feel, Uh, and, and we want to have a deeper faith, a faith that actually encompasses all of our life, a faith that is uh, intellectual but also emotional and actually lives out into our life. We want a deeper faith, not something that's shallow, not something that's just words, not something that we just say that we uh, believe, but something that actually affects our life. And and if you're a Christian, uh, that's what you want in life. You don't want to just say, yeah, I've got faith, but but it's really just this shallow thing. You want a deeper faith. And, and this is what we are talking about over uh, these few weeks that we have been exploring. And so we're talking about the different struggles that we have in life. We're talking about ways that we want to grow. We're talking about things that, that may, maybe are sins or habits or things that you're like, man, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this a part of my life anymore. I don't want to keep struggling in these ways anymore. I don't want to stay stuck in these ways anymore. I want a deeper faith. Those are, those are the things that, that if, if you think about, and I know we don't think about it all the time, but when we, when we think about it, there's areas in our life that we say, man, I want to grow in, in various parts of my life. I don't want to stay stuck anymore. So you don't always think about it, but, but when we do, aren't there areas that you say, man, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to grow. I don't want to always be so anxious about what's going to happen uh, in my job or with this relationship or, or what, what's going to happen. I don't want to be so anxious about it. I don't want to be so jealous when I look at other people's lives. I don't, I don't want to be so angry with my spouse or with my kids or I don't want to be so lustful when I, when I see uh, people or things or whatever it is. I, I, I don't want to have that in me anymore. Am I always going to be like this? Am I always going to be kind of on edge or worried or angry? Am I always going to wake up and, and just hate traffic and hate my life and, and hate the other drivers? Am I, am I always going to get in you know, political arguments with my parents or my uncle, you know? That always goes well, right? Your family, you can always convince them of your political persuasion. Um, am I always going to be like that? Right? There's those things that we feel and go, man, is this always going to be there? Am I always going to, is this really the experience of faith that I'm going to have? And we're talking about a deeper faith, being able to grow, being able to experience something that is deeper. And, and here's, what we, here's what we looked at the last couple weeks. We said this, God is working. Whatever the struggles are, whatever those points in your life that are hard, whatever those areas in your life, and you go, man, this is difficult, this is hard, this is challenging, and and I don't always respond in the best ways. We said this, God is working in those situations. That God is working to refine us. He's working to expose. In the, in the difficult parts of our life, here's what God is doing. And, and this is just recap. In the difficult parts of your life, what God is doing is he is revealing what's there. He's revealing who we really are. And that's hard, but it's also really helpful to go, man, this is, I need this. I need this to show me what's really going on. And, and not just behaviors, this was kind of last week, God's not just really revealing the behaviors that we have, but he's revealing what's going on inside of our hearts. And, and what we said last week is that what Jesus says is all the different things that happen, all the different behaviors and things we don't like, those ultimately come from our heart. Here's how Jesus says this in Mark 7. He says, Talking about Jesus, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, 
come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So here's what Jesus is saying. This is really what we talked about last week. Look, the different things in your life, and maybe you don't find yourself on this list, and so then you are right here where it says pride. But maybe you don't find yourself on this list. You know, and you're like, oh, that's not my stuff. But it's somewhere in there, right? Foolishness or something, you know, that you go. And we didn't, you know, talk about all these different words. But these all fit into our life in different ways. And Jesus said those aren't just behaviors. But there's stuff in our heart that leads to those things. There's stuff in our heart. And that's really what we talked about last week was that here's the issue. If we want to grow, if we want to experience deeper faith, it's not just that there's different behaviors that have to change. It's our heart that has to change. It's that we love things. And we talked about the word idolatry, which is that we worship things. That's what it means that things come from our heart, that our hearts are set on things, that we love things more than we love God. We love things, whether that's comfort or it's beauty or it's safety or it's, it's uh, people's opinions or it's all, a career, success. or There's things that are in our heart that we love, that we worship, that then lead to all the different behaviors that we want to change. So we look at our lives and, and we say, man, I want a deeper faith. I want to grow. I want to experience something better, something deeper, something that's not shallow and and God is working in our situations to reveal what has to change to reveal what's in our hearts the things that we really love that actually trap us and enslave us and God's revealing those things to help us but we very we we touched on it towards the end last week but but how do we actually change How do we stop, if the issue is that we love things that we shouldn't love, if the issue is there's something in my heart that's leading to all these different things, if if that's the issue, there's something I love that I've I've, got to love God instead, how, how do we stop loving the things that we shouldn't love? How do we stop loving what we shouldn't? If, if the issue is, man, I love comfort, or I love pleasure, or I love security, or I love beauty, or I love people's opinion of me, or I love people's, I love people's respect, and that's what leads to what Jesus says, out of the heart, it leads to foolishness and envy and pride and all those different behaviors that we want to stop. How do I stop loving what I love? How do I stop loving what I shouldn't love? How do I stop? And... Here's how you don't do it first. You don't stop loving what you shouldn't love, whatever that is, by just saying, this is bad. Don't love it. Stop loving this. That's not the way we do it. You can't stop loving what you shouldn't by just saying, stop loving it. It's bad. And this is true because of a couple things. First, it's true because because a lot of times it's not bad. See, the problem is we love things too much. Not that the things themselves are bad, and we talked about this last week. It's, it's, if, if you say, man, here's my issue, I, I love success. And so because of that, sometimes I'm envious, or because of that, sometimes I make foolish decisions. I lie, I, I cheat, I steal, or whatever. All the different things that Jesus lists are other things. Man, I love people's approval, so, so sometimes I'm really anxious, and I'm, and I'm always checking my phone, or I'm always checking how many likes I got, or whatever. And so I should stop loving people's approval. Well, here's the issue with that. A people's approval is not bad. Success isn't bad. 
Safety is not bad. Those things aren't bad. So if you say, hey, stop loving it, it's bad. That's not true. It's just that we love things too much. But the other problem is this. If you, if you try to stop loving what you shouldn't by just saying, stop loving it, it's bad. One, it's not bad. But two is this. Something else will fill its place. If you say, stop loving success so much, and you go, okay, I'll stop loving success. You know, we talked about last week that anything you love more than God eventually eats you alive. So maybe you say this, look, I'm going to stop loving success so much. Because you know what? That's going to, that's going to hurt my relationships with my kids, let's say. And if, I, if, I, if I'm so focused on career, if I'm so focused on getting ahead, if I'm so focused on success, that's going to hurt, it's going to hurt my family. So I'm going to stop loving career so much. But something has to take the place of that. You can't stop being a worshiping being. You can't stop being someone that loves. So you say, okay, I'm going to stop loving career. I'm going to start loving my family. But then family becomes that thing. And, and what happens, maybe you've lived like this or had this happen to you. What happens if, if somebody's kids become what they love too much? Eventually, their kids hate them because they always try to live through their kids. They always try to control their kids. They always try to, all of this stuff because their kids are every, their kids are God to them. And so sometimes what happens is people go, man, I'm going to stop loving success. I'm going to stop loving career. Instead of, because if I, if, I, if I keep loving success and career, my kids will hate me. And so I'm going to start loving my kids. And that's great. You should love your kids. But if that, if that takes too much, you love them too much, then what happens? Then your kids still hate you. It, it goes to the same place. And this happens with all sorts of things. Maybe you think about um, uh, somebody that says this, you know what, you know what I really love? You know what I really love? I, I love? I love being safe. I love being safe. And this hurts community because you don't really let people know you. You don't re really let people get to experience who you are because you say, man, I love being safe. And then you go, no, you know what? This is hurting my relationships. I, I don't really have any good friends. I, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to love community. But the same thing that happens with the kids. What happens if you, if, you, if you make people an idol and you say, man, I love you. Community is everything to me. And so you're super clingy. And, you're, you're, and, and if anyone ever disappoints you, it's like, oh, my gosh, my God has failed me. How could you do this to me? I thought we were friends. Some of you are laughing either because that's happened or you are that person. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to talk about how to change today. So it's a good day, which, whichever one. But you see, the, here, here's what happens. The way we stop loving what we shouldn't is not by saying stop loving it. It's bad. Because most of the time it's good. It's just become too much. And you have to love something. So if you stop one thing, something else will take the place. So how do we stop loving what we shouldn't? Well, here's how. You have to have a new love. The way you stop loving something, anything, and we'll talk about how this relates to faith in a minute, but think about this. If the way to start loving anything, the way to stop loving anything, is something new that you love comes in. The way you stop loving one thing is a new love comes in and pushes that old love out. So think about this. I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, toys. So I used to have a Pog collection. This, this is not my old Pog collection, okay? This is my new Pog collection. Um, the, way, 
Actually, this, this is not mine at all, but I did recognize some of the ones I had. Some of you probably don't even know what these are. Now that there's virtual reality and everything, you're like, what is that? Uh, it's a piece of cardboard is basically all it is. But Pogs, I used to love Pogs. Okay, I did. I'm not ash- I'm kind of ashamed. Okay, but I did. I loved Pogs. But I don't love them anymore, and I don't play with them anymore, and I do other things. But nobody, here, here's how my love of Pogs changed. Nobody sat me down and said, Caleb, Caleb, Caleb. Maybe they should have, but nobody, no, <laughs> nobody said, Caleb, stop loving Pogs seriously. Nobody did that. What happened is my love of Pogs went away because new loves came in and pushed that love out. Now I love hiking. Now I love um, going to cool new restaurants. And now I love um, Lord of the Rings. And now I love you know, other, th- other hobbies and things I do that pushed out pogs. It's not that someone said, stop loving pogs. Or here's another example. This is my car. Um, or the car at least I wanted in high school. Uh, not really. I don't really care what the car was. It could have been anything. It was this that I wanted to be able to hear kind of what we heard during the, the, uh, the beginning of the, the, the worship. Uh, that, that, that mm, just that, you know. I wanted people to rattle when I moved in my car by, you know. I'm, I mean, this is my dream in high school was this. I would have given anything for this. And no one, probably there was some people that said stop loving that, but that's not what changed. It wasn't that I said, okay, this is bad. Stop loving bass. Bass is bad. <laughs> Nobody, I, that's not what happened. A new love came in. A love to be a respectable citizen or a love to, <laughs> to not, a love to, <laughs> a love to actually get a girlfriend and then a wife. Um, a love for trunk room. I mean, all sorts of things. But new loves came in and pushed the old love out. Or here's another example. This is what I grew up eating on everything. Some of you have heard me talk about this, but um, this is, it's, it's, I love this, by the way. It's, I don't know if this, if what they're doing here, but it says 100% grated Parmesan cheese. And I'm not sure legally if they would say, oh, no, we said it was 100% grated and Parmesan cheese. It's not quite 100%, you know. I don't know if that's what that means. This is 100% grated, definitely. And then Parmesan cheese, yeah, it's not 100%. But anyways. We, we put this on everything, okay? And, and, I, and this is what, I loved it. I loved it. I grew up with this. Um, and um, when I got married, uh, my wife had never seen this. She, she's Italian, so she was like, I don't know what that is. Um, and she was making spaghetti or something and grating 100%, um, an actual, like, block. I don't, do you know that Parmesan is actually, it doesn't come in this. It's an actual block of cheese. And I did not know this. I thought this was Parmesan cheese. And she had a, like, cube-looking thing and was grating it. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. And ate it. And I don't, I kind of still do, but I don't love this anymore. (laughs) A new love came in and pushed it out. A new love came in. Or here's the final one that I saw this picture that reminded me of this. This says, true embarrassment lies within your first email address. (laughs) When you got your first email address, you loved it. And it was Soccer Girl 32, or it was, I, you know, I don't even, you know, you know what it was, right? 
I will never tell you. There's, I think, one person in the world, not even God knows my original email address. <laughs> Nobody will know this. This is like, it's top secret. NSA knows and I know, and that's it. Um, and you loved it. You thought it was awesome. No one probably said to you, this is stupid. Get rid of that email address. Maybe somebody did, but, but nobody sat you down and said, this is bad. Stop loving this. It was a new thing, new desires, whether that's to be respectable or to get a job or new things that came in and pushed the old love out. So those are silly examples, but here's how Jesus says the same thing. And first John, or how John says it rather, says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now listen to how he says this. It says, look, there's a bunch of things in the world that we love, whether that's people's comfort or people's approval or our comfort or our safety or our family or things that we love that are in this world. And Jesus is saying we shouldn't love things or people. Obviously, people are in the world but it's the kind of love we're talking about. That's a love that's a disordered love, a love that is, I love this more, and this is what's actually ruling my life and leading to behaviors that I don't want. And Jesus says this, don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, but then here's the thing, how does that change? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, Jesus is saying both the problem and the solution. If anyone loves the, thing in this, the things in this world, here's the problem. It's that there's not a bigger, deeper, better love in him, the love of the Father. That's also the solution then is, how do I get the love of the world out of me? How do I get the love of this out of me? A different love. The love of the Father has to come in and push it out. Or here's how Jesus says it. He says this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So think about all the different ways that you want to grow, whatever that is. You want to be more patient, which would be a commandment. You want to be more uh, of a servant and less selfish, which would be a commandment. You want to be more generous, which would be a commandment. You, you want to be more caring, which would be a commandment. So there's all these other things. How do I actually grow? How do I actually do this? Or how do I actually stop this? And Jesus says, if you love me, if there's a love inside of you that's different from the other loves, if you love me, that will lead to your growth. That will lead to your obedience. That will lead to your change. That will lead to a deeper faith. You see, how do we stop loving what we shouldn't? How do we stop loving what we shouldn't? Because there's things that we love. And if you, if you didn't listen last week, I would go back and listen because it's kind of hard to uncover that whole idea. But all the different things that come out of our life that we don't want is because we love stuff more than we should. How does that change? It's a new love has to come in. A new love has to come in that pushes the other loves out. See, here's, here's another way to say this. When our love changes, our life changes. When what you love changes, how you live changes. So for you, what do you love? What is your heart set on? What, what are the ways you want to grow? And if you were here last week and you thought about this and you were spending time thinking about those things, what is it that you love that needs to go away, that needs to change? What is it that you love more than God? What has become actually central to you? 
What do you love? What do you love? What idols are there? And, and here's the way you change. You only change if you love him more. He's got to be the thing that you love. He's got to be the thing that your heart is most set on. He's got to be the thing that is coming in, the love of the Father, in you, pushing out all other loves. But here's a question. How do we then get a new love? So if the way that we change is a new love coming in and pushing out old loves, how do we get a new love? So if you want to change, it's not stop doing this. It's you've got to love something new, Jesus. But how do we get a new love? It's one thing to know that the way that you will experience change is not by just saying stop the old love, um, but how do you actually get a new love? How do you get a new love? And to think about this, I want you to think about why you love the things that you currently love. See, whatever this is for you, and if you've been thinking about it this last week, or if it's new to you today to even begin thinking about this, but why do you love what you love? The things that, that have become too important to you, the things that have actually become God to us in a functional way, where we build our identity, where we build our worth, where we build our value, where we are really moving towards, what we're really organizing our life around, what we really live for, why is it that you love those things? Why do you love what you love? We all have different things that have taken the place of God. We all have different loves that we have that have become more important to us than God, that have become substitutes for God, that we look to for what only God can actually give us. We all have that. And they're different things for everybody, but why are they the things that they are for you? Why do you love what you love? And here's why. What we see what we see, what we focus on, what fills our vision starts to change our desires. What we see, what we focus on, what fills our vision begins to change our love, our desires. This is the entire advertising industry. See, the entire advertising industry is let us show you something so that your desires are changed. Let us show you this commercial of a car so that something awakens inside of you and you need to be driving that car. Let us show you this beer so that something awakens inside of you so you want that beer. Let us show you these chips so that something awakens inside of you and your desires are changed and you want those chips. This is the whole advertising industry. The way that desires are changed the way that what you love is changed is by what fills your vision, about what, by what you see. The way that you love what you love right now is because you've seen it. It's filled your vision over and over again. This is why, interestingly enough, uh, like Facebook, if some of you own a small business or you've ever done marketing for a business before, Facebook limits the amount of text that can go on an ad. Because they don't even... It's, you know, you know, you don't watch commercials and it's just a bunch of text. Because no one would go, oh, I'm going to buy that. That's very interesting. They want to show it to you. They want to fill your vision. That's why Facebook limits how much text can actually go on an ad. Because they're trying to help the businesses so that people keep using them to say, look, it's got to be something visual that draws people in. Because if people see something, it affects their heart. It changes them. They want it. They desire it. They love it. I mean, think about this. This is an ad for 
the first one just says hotels, but this is Dublin hotels or hotels in Ireland. Now, maybe some of you have clicked on, you know, just these text ads on Google before. Dublin hotels, hotels in Ireland. Okay, fine. But a better ad is this, jumpintoireland.com. You look at that, and some of you right now are on your phone. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm jumping right now. You did it. This is more compelling. You look at it and you go, oh, I didn't love Ireland before, but now I do. I didn't realize I wanted to be Irish. I didn't realize that Ireland looked like that. You see, what you see, how do you get a new love? Why do you love what you love now? You love what you love now because something has filled your vision. Something has filled your sight. Something, you've seen something and it's begun to compel your heart. Sight, what we see, what fills our vision always shapes us. Think about other examples of this outside of advertising. Even, even things that are more formative than advertising. You grew up in a home. And if, if you're married... Uh, you've, you, you, had, you, you observed your parents' marriage. And e- th- this is true. I mean, maybe your parents are divorced like, my, like mine are, or maybe, maybe you had a single parent. Or, I mean, but you observed your parents' relationship. And that shapes how you view relationships. Specifically, it shapes how you view marriage relationships. And, and that's not because your parents sat you down, and, and most parents don't do this, It's not because your parents sat you down and said, look, I'd like to teach you about relationships. I'd like to teach you about marriage. But you saw things, things that you liked and things you didn't like, things that filled your vision of how communication happens, of how arguments happen, of how conflict happens, of how love happens, about how affection happens. Things filled your vision that you saw that then shaped you, shaped your desires shaped who you are, for good and for bad. What you see changes you. Your vision, what fills your vision, changes you. You love what you love. You're afraid of what you're afraid of because of what you've seen. Let me give you one last example of this. Culturally, and, and all this stuff is just is true. I'm, I'm, we're not even talking yet about how this relates to faith on how you get a new love. But I just want you to understand that what you see changes you. What fills your vision shapes your desires. Our culture knows this, especially in the last few years. It's been very pointed to talk about body image. It's been very, uh, there's a lot of talk about a backlash against Photoshop, right? Because Photoshop then presents a body image that's unrealistic or um, our American princess, Barbie. There's been a lot of backlash against her. This poor girl. There's been a lot of, uh, she can't even defend herself. Um, There's been a lot of backlash against Barbie. You've heard about this. Because her proportions are completely crazy, right? So if you, you, and and if if you take this doll and you give it to a little girl, and you say, this is beauty, that what our culture has begun to realize is that will mess with people. Now, if you've given your daughter a Barbie, it's okay. You know, I mean, you're, not, you're not going to hell. But our culture has understood something. Man, if you give a Barbie to a little girl, it, because this is what she's seeing, because this is what she's viewing, because this is what's filling her mind and her vision, it will shape her desires. It'll shape what she wants and what she loves, and it will be crazy. 
because there's been, this is what Barbie's proportions would actually look like if she was a real human. So this is, I mean, there's all, all sorts, but isn't, that's like the freakiest thing you've ever seen in your life, right? That's, if she was an actual human being, that's what Barbie would look like based on the proportions that they make her. So think about how, what that does to a little girl. If you say, here's what, here's what beauty is. Hold this, view this, let this fill your vision. How do we get a new love? Why do you love what you love right now? Why are your desires what they are right now? It's because stuff has filled your vision. Sight, what we see, always shapes us. What you stare at shapes your love. It shapes your hate. It shapes your fear. It shapes you. What fills your vision shapes you. What fills our eyes will fill our hearts and eventually fill our lives. So what are you looking at? What's filling your vision? When, when you go, man, there's things in my life I don't want anymore. I want to grow. I, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to change. And Jesus would say, okay, that's because you love certain things that need to change. Well, why do you love those things? What's filling your vision? What's filling your sight? And how would you get a new love? Well, to get a new love, it's the same way that you got the old loves. It's got to be something that you see that changes you. This is what John says, again, about how we grow to actually become like Jesus. It's that we see him. How do you get a love for Jesus? How do you, if, if what we need is the old love's gone by a new love coming in and pushing it out, the way you get love, the way you love what you love is because you've filled your vision with it. John says this, he says, look, you've got to get a new love for Jesus in there. And the way that you get a new love for Jesus, the way you actually become like Jesus, the way you actually grow in the ways that you want to grow, is you have to see him. Here's how he says it in 1 John. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, he's talking about transformation, what we will be, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now here's what he says. He says this, look, you're not who you're meant to be right now. We know this. There's, there's things in our life that we go, man, this is not what I want my faith to be. I'm supposed to be more patient and loving and joyful and kind. And, and, and John says, you are not who you are meant to be right now. There is so much more that will happen, so much more that you will become. And how will that take place? Is it because eventually one day you will just try harder? Eventually one day you will just be better? Eventually one day you will just have your act together? And John says, no, look, here is why you will change. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. You will be like Jesus. You sh we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then he says, look, this is the same way it happens right now. Everyone who thus hopes in him. 
Everyone who is putting their hope in that now and thinking about that now and doing what he even says up here, see what kind of love. Anyone who does that, that's what changes us. That's what purifies us. See, here's what changes us. You see Jesus and you become like him. Not because you see him and now you know how to change your actions. Not because you see him and he shows up and gives you better coaching. But you see him. He fills your vision. And that changes you. See, one day, if you're a Christian, you will be like Jesus. You will be like Jesus. You will be totally loving and totally patient and totally joyful and totally a servant that isn't selfish at all and and totally centered on God and totally loving other people. You will be like that one day when he returns. And the reason that you will be like him is because you will see him as he is. On the spot. Not you'll see him and go take some notes and then know how to be like him. But on the spot, you will see him and thus become like him. Because who he is will so fill your vision that you'll change. Now this happens now incrementally. The more you see Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. Because there's a change that happens with what we see. What you see fills your heart. What fills your eyes fills your heart and fills your life. Because what you see shapes what you love. What you see shapes your desires and you're changed on the spot. Think about, I mean, just if you see the mountains, right? You go and you look at the mountains. It's not that you look at the mountains and take notes on them and then go home and go, oh man, that was really awesome. It's that on the spot, there's some sort of change that happens to you. You see the mountains and you go, man, that's beautiful. And there's an emotional response that takes place in the moment. Or for you parents that had your first child, I'm a middle child, so by the time you had a second, it was like, eh, whatever. But, but when you had your first child, you looked at your baby and you're like, ah, oh. and something was happening to you. In that moment, you were changing. Or when you, um, if you're, you can use fear as an opposite example. For those of you, like some people I know, I won't name any names, but if you're afraid of spiders or bugs and you see them, you're changed on the spot when you see it. Fear rushes through you, right? Because what you see affects your heart. And what John says is, look, one day you're going to see Jesus perfectly, not dimly, not a little bit. Other places in the Bible say right now it's kind of like we're looking through glass and it's kind of foggy. We can kind of see him. And to the degree that you see him is to the degree that you change. But, but one day you will fully see him and he will so fill your vision that who he is will change your heart. Because you'll see all that he is and it will change you. Because you will love him. And if you love him, you'll then live like him. So how do we... How do we get a new love? How do we get a new love? It's by what we see. See, you're not what you're meant to be, but you will be one day. You will change one day. And that same power can happen now as we see him. So to change, to grow, to experience a deeper faith, to get a new love, to actually love him more than what we love now, we have to have our heart's love rewired. So, Ask yourself this. 
right now, where are the ways you want to grow? What is it you're struggling with? And you go, I don't want this anymore. So what is it that you love that keeps pulling you back into those things? And you have to have the love of God crowd that out. And the way that happens is you have to see him. You have to actually be seeing him because that's what will change you. Now, here's what I want to end with as a few examples is how do we see who God is more clearly? Because if that's what actually changes us is we have to see him. How does that happen? How do we see him more clearly? And mainly, that is what the Bible is for. See, the Bible mainly is not a book that tells us about us. It does do that. But the Bible is not mainly a book that says, look, here's how you should live. It does do that, but that's not mainly what it is. Mainly what the Bible is, is God saying, let me show you who I am. Because if you see me, you will love me. And if you love me, you will obey me. So the Bible is God's autobiography. It's God's story of who he is and what he does so that we see him and we are changed. See, God wants us to have a deeper faith. He wants us to be free from the slavery that idolatry creates, to enjoy him. So he shows us himself in the Bible. Now let me give you a few examples of how the Bible, the Bible even talks like this and instructs us to know, how do we do this? If what we need to actually change is to see him, how do, what, what does that look like? What, how, how does that happen? And let me give you three examples the first one deals with anxiety. See, maybe you are anxious, and, and that could be for a variety of reasons, but it's because you love something. Maybe it's you love control of your life, and you're not sure you'll be able to do it. Maybe you're anxious because you love other people's opinions, and, and you're not sure what they think. Maybe you're anxious because uh, you love security, and you're not sure if things are going to work out. Maybe it's because you love finances, and you're not sure they're going to come in right. See, there's things we love, and, and look how Jesus says, here's what you need. You need to see something, and if you see me, you will change. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, look, he could have stopped there. He could have said, don't be anxious. And go, Okay, thank you. That's the command. But then he tells us how to do that. He says, you have to see something. So look, he says, don't be anxious. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look. See, it's calling to see. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See what he says? He says, look. You don't have to be anxious because look. God takes care of the birds. Look. I have a friend that has a tattoo of birds eating all up and down his arm because of this verse. To say, look, look at the birds of the air. They're not doing anything. You've never seen a bird with a rake, you know, in your backyard. I don't even know how they, they don't even have hands. So I don't know how would it, with this, well, I'm not going to act it out. So, you know, it's charade, the bird with a rake, you know, like, <laughs> uh, they, you've never seen that. And he says, look, they're mangy creatures. You know, obviously there's big, beautiful birds too, but they're mangy little rodents with wings. And he says, but God takes care of them. God takes care of them. Fa your father feeds them, but aren't you more important to him than they are? And then he talks about flowers. Which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, it's another word for look, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, this was the greatest king, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. To say you of little faith is to say to you of little sight. Don't you see? Look, consider. See, Jesus says, I want to deal with the problem of anxiety in your life. I want to deal with the problem of worry in your life. And I'm not going to just tell you, stop loving clothes, stop loving money, stop loving houses. I'm not going to just do that. What I'm going to do is get at what you see. I want you to change what you see so that what you love changes and so then how you live changes. How about, how about an example about sin? Maybe not anxiety, but there's things that we're sinning in. And, and here's what Hebrews says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It says, let's get rid of all the sin in our life. Let's get rid of it. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's actually go towards Jesus. Let's live the life of faith. Let's get rid of the sin and run the race. And then here's how he tells us to do it. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Look at him. Consider him. Think about him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So here's what he says. Look, and maybe some of you feel like this. The life of faith is hard. It's a race. And, and you might be feeling weary or faint-hearted. You might be feeling burnt out. You might be feeling tired. You might be, there might be so much sin and it, it feels like it's weighing you down. And you might want to give up. But here's what he says. Look to Jesus. Look at him. And he's using a race metaphor. So it's, it's as if Jesus is at the finish line. He says, look to Jesus. Look at him. And remember what he did for you. Remember how he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, the joy of bringing you into his family, kept him going. Look at him. Remember that so that you don't grow weary and faint-hearted. You see how he's dealing? He says, look, look, look. Fill your vision. Or let me give you one last example. This is with suffering. So we talk about anxiety. We talk about sin. But what about suffering and, and just stuff that's hard in your life? This is Psalm 77. And look at this experience that he's going through. He says, and this is, I came in in the middle of the psalm, and I don't read the whole psalm, but man, this is great. If you're suffering, go read this today. This is one of my favorites that actually tells you how to do this. But he says this, you hold my eyelids, my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Have you ever been there? Like, I can't, I don't even, I can't even say anything. Just, ah! Guys, it's usually, ah! And girls, it's usually, ah! But it's, I can't, I'm so troubled, I can't speak. I can either grunt or cry. And I'm not trying to be sexist. It goes both ways, okay? And sometimes at the same time. You know, I, you, I, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And then he tells himself what he's going to do. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So he says, look, I'm going to try to see something. I'm going to make a diligent search. I, I am suffering. I'm, I can't even speak. It's so bad. 
But I'm going to make a, I'm going to, my spirit is going to make a diligent search. I'm going to try to see things that I need to see. Will the, and then he goes back to this. This is what he's worried about. Will the Lord spurn forever? It's like, is God forgetting me? Maybe you felt like that. Man, is God just, is God just totally forgetting me here? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He used to be good to me, but what happened? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Do you feel the anguish? Like, man, does God just not even care about me anymore? But he's got to see. He's going to tell himself, I got to see something. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's to God's power and his authority. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder. You see these words? I'm going to think about this. I'm going to fill my mind with this. I'm going to fill my vision with this. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Which is kind of like mic drop. Is what that word basically means. It's a loose Hebrew translation. <clears throat> but do you see what he does there? He says, look, I'm suffering. I can't even speak. I can't even think. I can't even, what am I going to do? I'm going to meditate. I'm going to see. I'm going to consider. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to fill my heart. I'm going to make a diligent search. I'm going to remember what God has done. I'm going to remember how he's saved his people. And he, he continues to go on in this psalm saying, I'm going to remember when God led the people of Israel through the Red Sea. I'm going to remember his salvation. I'm going to remember the kind of God he is. I'm going to tell myself the stories again. I'm going to fill my mind with who he is so that I see him, so that I love him, so that in the middle of what I'm going through, my life changes. See, what, what fills your sight fills your heart and fills your life. What fills your vision will fill your heart and fill your life. And how do we see God more clearly? What, what the Bible says is you've, you, you've got to use the book. You've got to open up the Bible, and, and it helps us do this. It helps us to see him. God says, I want to show you who I am. So I've revealed myself to you. And what this means is we have to do, even what David was praying here, is we have to meditate which means you really think, you really see. Instead of There's a way to read the Bible that's like scrolling. And there's a way to read that is what, what David just did there. I'm going to search. I'm going to ponder. I want to see. I'm going to consider. I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to look intently. God wants you to see him. See, we all have ways that we want to grow. We all have sins. We all have struggles. We all have loves that need to change. But what if we were actually shaped by who God is filling our vision? That's how we change. That's how we experience a new love that crowds out the old loves. God wants a deeper faith for us. Not just, not just to know things about him. Not to just go through the motions in our life. But to really see him and have that fill our life. This is why we do everything we do on Sundays. This is why we do everything we do on Sundays. This is why we sing songs to help us see who he is. It's why we preach and open up the Bible and say, look who he is, instead of just, here's how you should live. 
even though that's not bad, but, but we want to say, look, here's who he is. It's why in just a moment we're going to take communion because Jesus wanted us even to have a visual and tactical reminder to say, look. See, Jesus, Jesus said, I want you always and regularly to take communion, to remember that my body was broken for you and my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins to bring you back into my family. Jesus said, I want you to see it. Always, over and over again. So even as you come and take communion, look. As you put it in your mouth, eat and remember and see. And and think how awesome Jesus is that he didn't just have up here some words and say, read it. That's okay. He did do that also. But he said, I want you to have something that you see, that you taste. Because he wants to fill our vision so that he fills our hearts. So that our lives are then changed. He wants a deeper faith for us. So we will pray now, and we will take communion, and we respond in singing. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you have given us things to see, even communion and song that we will do now. We thank you that you want something more for us, a deeper faith for us. You don't want it to be a shallow life, a shallow experience of of just kind of going through the motions. You really want us to see you because you really love us and care for us and want more for us. So I pray, God, even now as we we do take communion and as we do sing, that you would fill our vision anew with who you are and what you've done. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.